0: Chapter Thirteen of An Eye for an Eye by William Lycow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirteen. Dick becomes mysterious. The startling statement of Morris Lowry caused me very considerable uneasiness. On my return to Gray's Inn, however i made no mention of our strange conversation to dick who returned that evening rather late after a heavy day of news-hunting old Lowry had evidently been in a confidential mood that afternoon and i had no right to expose any secret of his extraordinary business therefore i kept my own counsel pondering deeply over his statement when clewe had gone forth to meet lily wondering whether it might have been some other woman who had worn the brooch with the five of diamonds I sat at the window gloomily watching the light fade from the leaden London sky. The evening was stifling, for no fresh air penetrated to that small open space, surrounded as it was by miles and miles of smoke-blackened streets, and as night crept on the heavens became a dull red with the reflection of the myriad lights of the city. Heedless of all, I strove to find some solution of the enigma. Inquiries by Boyd, one of the shrewdest detectives in London, Had failed utterly. He was now relying solely upon me. There was but one clue, that given by the landlord of the house, and this I had followed with the result that the circumstances had only grown more and more bewildering. As far as could be discerned, there was no motive whatever in taking the lives of either the man or the woman, while the escape of Ava was an astounding fact of which I longed for an explanation from her own lips. I loved her. Yes, the more I reflected as I sat there gazing aimlessly across the square, regardless of the fleeting time, the more I became convinced that she was all the world to me. I recollected her daintiness and her grace, the sweetness of her smile and the music of her voice, telling myself that she alone was my idol, that my love for Mary had after all been a mere boyish fancy, and that this affection was a true, honest, deep-rooted one the outcome of a great and boundless love was there however not a great and terrible suspicion upon her by a mere chance that chance which fate sends so often to thwart the murderer's plans or give him up to justice i had learnt that she or someone answering exactly to her description had actually purchased some poisonous compound i had believed her to have been a victim on that fatal night but now it seemed that on the other hand she was herself given to the study of poisons, a strange subject indeed for a woman to take up. Then calmly I asked myself if it were possible to cast all memory of her aside, and after reflection discovered that such a course was utterly unfeasible. To entertain no further thought of her was entirely out of all question, for I loved her with a fierce and intense affection and thought of naught else but her strange connection with this mystery which if made public would send a thrill through london there were some very ugly facts hidden somewhere yet try how i would i could form no distinct straightforward theory Eva was naive and sincere frank and open undesigning and entirely inartificial nevertheless beneath her candour she seemed to be concealing some dread secret the latter I was determined to discover. And while night drew on and shadowy figures crossed and recrossed the square, I still sat plunged in thought, pondering deeply to find some means whereby to approach her. I love her, a woman upon whom the gravest suspicion rested of having purchased a deadly drug for some nefarious purpose. Truly, in the fitful fever of life, the decree of fate is ofttimes strange. Men have loved murderesses, and women have before now given their hearts nay even their lives to shield cowards and assassins suddenly a movement behind me brought me back to a sense of my surroundings and i saw that dick had returned why you're back very early i said have you been down to the crystal palace yes of course he answered gaily what have you been doing you lazy beggar it's past half-past eleven nothing i answered surprised that it was so late I tried to write, but it's too beastly hot to work. Quite fresh down at the palace, he answered, big crowd on the terrace, and the fireworks not at all bad. Lil' all right? Yes, sends her regards and all that sort of thing. But, and he hesitated, at the same time tossing his hat across upon a chair, and seating himself on the edge of the table in that careless devil-may-care style habitual to him. But what I inquired? He sighed, and a grave expression crossed his face. "'Fact is, old chap,' he said in an unusually earnest tone, "'I fear I'm getting a bit tired of her. She wasn't the least bit interesting to-night.' "'Sorry to hear that, old man,' I said. "'Perhaps she wasn't very well, or you may be out of sorts, liver or something. A woman isn't always in the same mood, you know, just as a man is liable to attacks of blues.' "'Yes, yes, I know all that,' he exclaimed impatiently but I've been thinking over it a long time. And, to tell you the truth, I'm no longer in love with her. It's no good making a fool of the girl any longer. But she loves you, I observed, knowing well in what affection she held my erratic friend. That's the devil of it, he snapped. To tell the truth, it has worried me a lot lately. You've neglected her very much, I observed, but surely she's good-looking, a charming companion, and has a very even temper. "'You've told me so lots of times. Why have you so suddenly grown tired?' "'I really don't know,' he answered, smiling, at the same time slowly filling his pipe. "'Perhaps it's my nature. I was always a wanderer, you know.' I looked at him steadily for some moments, then said bluntly, "'Look here, Dick. You needn't conceal the truth from me, old fellow. Mary Blaine has attracted you, and you are throwing Lil over on her account. Robbie." she laughed. "'Mary's a nice girl, but as for loving her,' and he shrugged his shoulders without concluding his sentence. Notwithstanding this protest, however, I felt convinced that I had guessed aright, and regretted it because I knew how well Lily loved him, and what a blow it would be to her. She and I had been good friends always, and I liked her, for she was demure, modest, and withal dignified, even though she were but a shop assistant. "'Well, is it really fair to Lily?' I suggested after a rather painful pause. You surely wouldn't advise me to tie myself to a girl I don't love, he protested rather hastily. You are a fellow with lots of common sense, Frank, and your advice I'd follow before that of any chap I know. But here you're a bit wide of the mark, I think. Thanks for the compliment, old fellow, I responded. Of course, it isn't for me to interfere in your private affairs, but all I advise in this matter is a little hesitation before decision. It's useless, he said. I've already decided to give up lily i have given her up i told her tonight that i shouldn't see her again you did i exclaimed looking at him in surprise i could not understand this sudden change of his a few hours before he had been full of Lil's praises telling me how charming she could be in conversation and declaring that he loved her very dearly it was more than remarkable yes he said you know that i can't bear to beat about the bush so I resolved to tell her the truth. She'd have to know it some day, and better at once than later on. "'Well, all I can say is that you're a confounded brute,' I exclaimed plainly. "'I know I am,' he admitted. "'That's the worst of it. I'm too deuced outspoken. Any other chap would have simply left her and ended it by letter. I, however, put the matter to her philosophically, and how did she take it?' His lips compressed for an instant as his eyes met mine. Badly he answered in a low voice. Tears, protestations of love, and quite a scene. Fortunately we were alone together in the train. I got out with her at the Elephant and Castle, and took her home. Did you see her father? No, and don't want to. He's no good, the ugly old sinner. Why? I inquired quickly, wondering how much he knew. But he evaded my question, answering, I mean he's a sanguinary old idiot. He idolizes Lily. I know that then after a brief pause he added i may appear a brute a silly fool and all the rest but i tell you frank i've acted for the best i can't see it no i don't suppose you can old chap he answered but you will entirely agree with my course of action some day ere long his words puzzled me for they seemed to contain some hidden meaning are you absolutely certain that you've no further love for lil i inquired absolutely and you are likewise equally certain that it is not the personal charms of Mary Blaine which have led you to take this step?' "'I'm quite certain of it,' he answered. "'You once loved Mary, remember, but broke it off. Surely we are all of us at liberty to choose our own helpmate in life?' "'Of course,' I responded. It was not, however, my fault that we parted. Mary was infatuated with another. "'That just bears out my argument,' he went on. "'She didn't love you.' and therefore considered herself perfectly justified in her attachment with your rival. "'I don't love Lil.' "'But it seems that you have parted from her in a really cruel and heartless manner.' "'This isn't like you, Dick,' I added reproachfully. "'Why are you her champion?' he asked, laughing. "'Are you in love with her?' "'Not at all,' I assured him with a smile. "'Only I don't like to see a girl badly treated by any friend of mine.' "'Oh, that's good,' he laughed you treated girls badly in your time, I suppose. Have a peg, old fellow, and let's close the debate.' Then he added, in the language of Parliament, where he so often reported the speeches of the Irish ranters, "'I move that this house do now adjourn.' "'But I don't consider that you've acted with your usual tact in this affair I protested, heedless of his words. You could, of course, have broken it off in a much more honourable way if you had chosen.' "'I've been quite honourable, he declared in a tone of annoyance, I told her plainly that my love had cooled. Hark! The clock on the inn hall was striking midnight. There's no suspension of the twelve o'clock rule. Shut up, Frank, and be damned to you. He crossed to the sideboard, mixed a couple of whiskey and sodas, and handed me one, saying, Thirsty weather this. My mouth's as dry as a kipper. I willingly admitted that the summer dust of London was conducive to the wholesale consumption of liquid but was nevertheless reflecting upon his remarkable change of manner towards Lily. Something, I believe, had occurred, of which he had not told me. He stretched himself in the armchair, placed his glass at his elbow, and began to blow a suffocating cloud from his most cherished briar. I wish you'd spend sixpence on a new pipe, I said, coughing. This one cost fourpence halfpenny in Fleet Street nearly two years ago, he answered, without removing it from his lips. Don't you like it? My dear fellow, it's awful. Ah, so they set up the office the other day. Don't notice it myself. But others do. I'll make you a present of a new one tomorrow. Don't want it, old chap. Have a drink yourself with the money. This one's quite good enough for me. Besides, it'll keep the moss out of our drawing-room furniture.' And he gazed around the shabby apartment where, from the leather-covered chairs, the mysterious stuffing was in many places peeping forth upon the world. We smoked on. Although I had been considerably annoyed by what he had told me regarding Lily, his imperturbable good humour caused me to laugh outright, whereat he observed, You're really a funny beggar, Frank. I like you exceedingly, except when you try and dwell upon themes you don't understand. Those who do that are apt to wallow out of their depth. You don't know my reasons for throwing Lil over. Therefore it's impossible for you to regale me with any good advice. You understand? "'But what are your reasons?' I inquired. "'You shall know them before long,' he assured me. "'At present I don't intend to say anything.' "'This is the first time, Dick, we've had secrets from each other,' I observed gravely. "'No,' he answered. "'You love the mysterious Ava, and have never told me so. That's a secret, isn't it?' I was surprised that he had detected my love for her, and rather alarmed, because if he had noticed it others had doubtless remarked it also therefore I questioned him but he only laughed saying why anybody who saw you together down at Riverdene couldn't fail to guess the truth people have sharp eyes you know I was silent if this were actually true then I feared that I had made a hopeless fool of myself besides wrecking any chance of eliciting those facts which I had set my mind upon reeling at any hazard presently he rose crossing to his writing table to scribble a letter while i lighting a cigarette sat silent still thinking seriously upon the words he had just uttered through the veil of tobacco smoke i seemed to see that fair smiling face gazing at me ever the same open countenance the same clear eyes of childlike blue the same half-parted mouth that i had first seen on that fatal night in phillimore place in my dream i thought that she beckoned me to her that she invited me to speak with her and saw in her eyes a calm, sweet expression, the expression of true womanly love. It was but the chimera of an instant, a vision produced by my wildly disordered brain, yet so vivid it seemed that, when it faded, I glanced across to my companion's bent figure, half fearing that he too had witnessed it. There are times when our imagination plays us such tricks, times when the constant concentration of the mind reaches its climax and is reflected down the aimless vista of our vision causing us to see the person upon whom our thoughts are centred such a moment was this it aroused within me an instant and intense longing to walk again at her side to speak to her to hear her sweet well-modulated voice nay to tell her the deepest secret of my heart thus it was that without invitation or without previous introduction to lady Glasland, I called at the Holly's on the following afternoon. A neat maid showed me into a cozy, rather small sitting-room, and for a few moments I remained there in expectancy. Although the house was not a large one, it bore no stamp of the Nouveau Riche. It was exceedingly well furnished, and surrounded by spacious grounds wherein were a number of old yews and beeches. Old-fashioned, queer in its bygone taste, it had stood there on the broad highway from historic hampton to london for probably a century and a half being built in the days when the villadome of fulwell had not yet arisen and twickenham was still a quiet village with its historic ferry and where the stagecoaches changed horses at that low-built old hostelry the king's head the place stood back from the dusty high road half hidden from the curious gaze yet surrounded as it now was by smaller houses some of the mere cottages while a few cheap shops had also sprung up in the vicinity the place was not really a desirable place of abode the district had apparently sadly degenerated like all places in the immediate vicinity of the metropolis before long the door opened and ava looking cool and sweet in a washing dress of white drill and wearing a straw hat with black band entered and greeted me cordially mother is out she said I'm so awfully sorry as I wanted to introduce you. She's gone over to Riverdean, and I, too, was just about to follow her. If you'd been five minutes later, I should have left. I'm lucky, then, to have just caught you,' I remarked. "'But if you're going to Riverdean, may I not accompany you?' "'Most certainly,' she answered. Of course, I shall be delighted. And the light in her clear blue eyes told me that she was not averse to my company. She ordered a glass of port for me, and then said— It's a whole week since you've been down there. Mary has several times mentioned you, and wondered whether you'd grown sick of boating.' "'I've been rather busy,' I said apologetically. "'Busy with murders and all sorts of horribles, I suppose?' she observed with a smile. "'Yes,' I answered, regarding her closely. "'Of late there have been one or two sensational mysteries brought to light. "'Mysteries!' she exclaimed, starting slightly. "'Oh, do tell me about them. I'm always interested in mysteries.' The facts are in the papers, I answered, disinclined to repeat stories which had already grown stale. The mysteries to which I referred were very ordinary ones, containing no features of particular interest. I'm always interested in those kinds of things, she said. You may think me awfully foolish, but I always read them. Mother grows so annoyed. It's only natural, I answered. We who are engaged on newspapers, however, soon cease to be interested in the facts we print but of course if they didn't interest the public our papers wouldn't have any circulation she glanced at me and a vague thought possessed me for the look in her eyes was one of suspicion when she had drawn on her gloves we together went forth through the garden and down to the road suddenly it occurred to me that we might go by train to shepperton and thence take a boat and row up to Riverdean. this i suggested and she gladly welcomed the proposal declaring that it would be much more pleasant than driving along the dusty, shadowless road from Shepperton to Laleham, Half an hour later we were afloat at Shepperton, and although the afternoon sun was blazing hot, it was nevertheless delightful on the water. With her lilac sunshade open she lolled lazily in the stern, laughing and chatting as I pulled regularly against the stream. Her conversation was always charming, and her countenance, I thought, fresher and more beautiful at that hour than i had ever before seen about her manner was an air of irresponsibility and when she laughed it was so gay a laugh that one would not dream that she had not a single care in all the world she was dainty from the crown of her hat to the tip of her white suede shoe and as i sat in the boat before her i felt constrained to take her in my arms and imprint a fervent kiss of love upon those sweet lips arched and well formed as a child my position, however, was, to say the least, an exceedingly strange one. I was actually loving a woman whom I suspected to be guilty of some unknown but dastardly crime. Dozens of times had I tried to impress upon myself the utter folly of it, but my mind refused to be convinced or set at rest. I loved her, that was sufficient. Nothing against her had been proved, and until that had been done, ought not I, in human justice, to consider her innocent indeed it was impossible to believe that this bright-eyed pure-faced girl before me light-hearted and graceful in every movement had actually secretly visited that dark little den in the walworth road and purchased a drug for the purpose of taking the life of one of her fellow-creatures yet she wore at her throat the small enameled brooch with its five of diamonds the ornament described by old Lowry the ornament which she had told me she had purchased as a souvenir at one of the fashionable jewellers in the Montage de la Cour in Brussels. We had passed both locks and were heading up to Lalem when we suddenly glided into the cool shade of some willows, the bows of which overhung the stream. The shadow was welcome after the sun glare, and resting upon the oars I removed my hat. Yes, she said, noticing my actions, we've come up unusually quick let's stay here a little time it is so pleasant the breeze seems quite cool let it be punt canoe or skiff what more delightful than to moor oneself snugly in the leafy shade and with a pleasant companion lays away the hours until the time comes to take up the skulls and gently pull against the placid stream everything was so peaceful so quiet the ripple of the skulls alone breaking the stillness yet after all What a change had come over the river in recent years! Good pitches for anglers and quiet nooks for the lazy were, ten years ago, to be discovered in every reach. Now they must be diligently sought for, and when found a note must be made of them. Warning boards notifying that landing or mooring alongside is prohibited were almost unknown. Now they greet one in every direction. It is a pity. Nevertheless there are still many real joys in river life. So we remained there, beneath the willows, where the water was white with lilies, and the bank with its brambles was covered with wild flowers, and as I lazed I looked into those clear blue eyes wherein my gaze became lost, for she held me in fascination. I loved her with all my soul. End of chapter thirteen. Recording by Tom Weiss. tom's dot